Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. One of the big religious liberty decisions coming out of the Supreme Court this term was the case of the Muslim travel ban. And here to talk about it is my friend and colleague, Attorney Saad Swalem from the Council on American-Islamic Relations in California. Saad, welcome to Freedom's Reign. Thank you, Alan. Glad to be on. So I imagine that for CARE, this travel ban decision was a big disappointment, yes? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we definitely think, um, you know, the Supreme Court here turned a blind eye to the Trump administration's, um, you know, bigotry towards the Muslim community. Um, and we thought the decision really sort of greenlighted um, religious and really ethnic discrimination by allowing the travel ban to, to stay alive. So let's give a little bit of background and we can talk more about the implications of the decision. But um, what were the legal arguments uh, that somehow the travel ban was, you know, violated religious freedom? What exactly were were the arguments against it? So um, for us, you know, we thought it was really just blatant bigotry just because of the president's own words um, leading up to his uh, election as president. He himself said numerous times that he would um, institute a complete um, shutdown of Muslims entering the country. He said um, he said he would impose a ban on Muslims entering the country. He also said things like Islam hates us and made several um, points during his candidacy saying uh, anti-Islamic things and, and really just making it clear that he would institute a, a Muslim ban. So for us, um, it's clear from the beginning that this was really just blatant bigotry that was being um, disguised as some sort of national security issue. So consistent with what you were saying, Saad, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals found that the the Muslim ban had violated the immigration statute does not permit discrimination in the issue of, of a visa. So I think really the legal issue is whether this ban violated the statute whether it was discriminatory. And it seems like the court wasn't even willing to go there and was discriminatory. They just basically gave the president the pass. Yeah, Alan, uh, exactly. I think I think the, the real issue is, you know, since the first ban, uh, this is now the third iteration of the ban that was finally able to pass, you know, the Supreme Court. Um, but the first iteration of the ban really shed a lot of light on the true intention of, of the Muslim ban. Um, the, the first ban... Um, had seven countries, and it had a very, very um, arbitrary, well, not arbitrary, but really obvious uh, waiver process that really exposed the true intent of the ban because um, the only way someone was able to was able to get a waiver if they were from those seven countries was if they were a, a religious minority within those countries. Um, obviously, at the time, from the first ban, these were all Muslim-majority countries, so a religious minority um, would be a non-Muslim. Um, so that really showed us the true intent of the ban. Um, and really now, even in the third iteration, we see that national security is probably not the real concern here because of the countries on the ban. Um, as many people know and many Americans know, um, a lot of 
the terror issues we've seen, you know, they, there's countries that would be on, on this list if that's what the focus was. Countries such as, for example, Saudi Arabia. They're curiously not uh, one of the countries listed. So if this was a national security issue, you would definitely expect really the country that had almost, I think it was 15 or 17 attackers on 9-11 were from, you know, Saudi right. nationals and they were right. never on the ban. So, so there's clear politics here um, at hand, and, and it's clear that national security is not the real issue here. Instead, it's um, really just the president following up on his promises um, during his campaign. So one of the observations that some of us have had, and I think you and I have talked about this and shared, is that the Supreme Court found in the Masterpiece Cake Shop case that the Colorado Commission that decided against Mr. Phillips, that they gave evidence of bias. And that Mm -hmm. because of evidence of bias, that decision was reversed. So the court Mm -hmm. was very willing to reverse a judicial decision, an administrative law decision, um, on the basis of much less evidence of bias in that case, although it was substantial. Uh, And here we have so much evidence of intent very clear intent. You know, everybody, those who like Trump, they like him because they say he speaks his mind and he does what he says. And here he spoke his mind. He said, we don't want Muslims coming into this country. And then he followed through on that promise. And, 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 you know, three tries of getting a ban that, that could pass legal muster. And clearly, you know, he followed through on that promise. And, um, Yet the court was unwilling here to connect the dots between the obvious intent, which he was not, you know, he was not coy about. Uh, and, and they just weren't interested in looking at, you know, what the intent, the discriminatory intent or purpose was of this, even though the very statute that gives him the authority to do this does not permit him to discriminate. That's mm-hmm. what's so bizarre to me. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, we all hold the Supreme Court, you know, with high standards and we have a lot of respect for it. But the truth is the Supreme Court has been wrong on major, major decisions before, um, you know, and obviously uh, Korematu comes to mind when the court permitted the incarceration of thousands of people based on their Japanese ancestry. Um, the court actually, after seeing um they actually wrote in the opinion, they actually mentioned Korematsu and tried to differentiate from it. Um, but the truth is, in this case, I mean, Trump sends out to ban Muslims, uh, you know, and the, the highest level of the judiciary is letting it happen. I mean, they really empowered him and his administration to discriminate on the basis of religion. Um, so you're right, there is an inconsistency there, um, especially with some of the decisions that came out right before. Um, but it's just unfortunate reality that, you know, our Supreme Court is as great as its history is, also has been wrong many times before, um, whether it's Korematsu, uh, Brett Scott. Um, unfortunately, minorities have not always been able to rely on, on the Supreme Court to defend their rights. So talk to us about the results of this decision. Obviously, uh, visas from people in these countries are at an all-time low. Um, but what's the impact on the Muslim community more broadly? So, I mean, the impact on the Muslim community really is we have families being split apart. Um, that's something that, unfortunately, we've seen consistently with this administration's immigration policy. They don't seem too concerned about that. 
but it really does cause irreparable damage to Muslim families and communities. Um, it's caused tremendous suffering to count the families. Um, you know, we have, we've seen children now who are separated because they have one parent, um, in Yemen or in Iran, um, and the, the other parent might be here already because they were able to get their visa before this ban was instituted. Um, so it's really depriving, um, families, not only separating them, but really depriving them of really important development with, with their kids, with young kids who aren't going to be in a two-parent household because of, uh, this ban. Um, so it's really, I think it's just the same consequences we're seeing, which is a part of Trump's larger, really un-American war on immigrant families, which is, um, separating children from their parents at the border. And now we're seeing the same sort of results here, uh, with the Muslim ban. You know, I'm very happy we're doing this show, Saad, because this is a perspective that I certainly was not aware of, and I'm sure our listeners probably were not aware of. You know, we we don't really put a face to, well, who are these people who are uh, wanting to come to this country from some of these countries? Are they business people? You know, are they, you know, would-be terrorists? You know, who who are they? And of course, it's easy to, to put the worst spin on people who are nameless and faceless. But, uh, you know, I hear you saying that they're, they're parents and there's, there's families being divided. And I'm sure there's many other stories as well. Are there any in particular that you're aware of that you want to tell? Yeah, you know, so um, we we had um, a case out here in the Sacramento area um, involving a family, and the father's here. He's been here for a couple of years, um, but his family is all stuck um, in Yemen, um, and his wife and, and uh, two kids. He actually, I believe his oldest son is with him here, though. Um, and, you know, like you said, he's a hardworking man. He's here. He works. He pays taxes. He's not... Definitely not anybody who's some sort of threat or some sort of danger to, to, you know, he's someone who's really embracing, you know, America's ideals and trying to really live out, you know, this so-called American dream of coming over here and making something out of an opportunity that he didn't have back home. But the problem now is, you know, after a few years, we're really starting to see the stress um, have its effect and wear him down. You know, his family is just literally a world away and it's it's tough for him. He just feels so helpless, you know, um, because, you know, if he wants to go back to his family and be with them, he loses really any opportunity. He, he squanders everything right. to, to give them um, a better life. So it's just it really puts them in this difficult situation where you have to choose, you know, opportunity for you and your family or you know is it is it just too much and do you want to just go back and and be with them so it's just it's really it's sort of unimaginable for us you know we've been here we've been blessed to be here with our families and have that opportunity and for them it's really they just want those two things as well um You, you know apart from any of the legal kind of wrangling it strikes me that immigration has been what makes America great, that we attract the best and brightest from all over the world. And, you know, I think of one of my clients who was born in Yemen. He's an accountant. Mm -hmm. He's a forensic accountant. Um, uh, Some of our listeners may be familiar with the name Backpage. Backpage was like a a Craigslist for uh, sex trafficking and human trafficking. And my client did the, you know, the grunt work, as it were, the the forensic accounting work that led to 
the closure of this organization and the uh, criminal arrest of its uh, its owners, its leaders. So, you know, this is a gentleman from who was born in Yemen, who's an immigrant. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's not only the trauma that we're inflicting on families, but we're depriving our country of those who have the initiative, who want to make the contribution and who are not going to be able to. That's, to me, you know, part of the tragedy of this whole misguided policy. Absolutely, Alan. And that's something I want to point out is, you know, it's not just that anybody gets to sign up and, and come over here from, from Yemen or from all, any of these countries. You know, they're vetted, you know, really seriously. For It takes them about two years to even, of vetting to even be able to come over here. And then once they're over here, they're not just immediately granted, you know, U.S. citizenship and that's it. They can do what they want. I mean, it's just it's a very strict process, you know. People who eventually become citizens are usually very law-abiding. They've they've met all the all the standards, um, and 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 they don't just bring anybody over here from from overseas. It's also part of what you're saying. These people really do contribute to making America better. Um, so, and and I hope listeners really understand that aspect of it as well. Well, and we've done shows talking about the vetting process, and yes, the vetting is very very thorough for immigrants and. Uh, refugees. So the notion that somehow because of our lax immigration policy, we're allowing terrorists into the country, you know, is just false. You know, anyone who's familiar with the work that Lawrence Wright did on the Looming Tower, you know that it wasn't a policy failure that led to 9-11. We should have excluded many of these folks from the no-fly list and from getting into the country. So you know, we had the policies and practices in place to protect ourselves. They weren't carried out very well. That was kind of the message of that research. Well, we're out of time. Our guest today has been Saad Swaila, a civil rights attorney with the Council on American Islamic Relations here in California. We've been talking about the Muslim ban case in the Supreme Court. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Ronak. Till next week, let freedom ring. <laughs>